Mr. President, the late Marilyn Monroe. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, ruthless program. Happy birthday to you. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh, you'll regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Oh, the sultry tones of Michael Duncan. Outstanding work there, Duncan. Yeah, you know, I really have no shame. (laughs) I I never want to be doubted that I'm unwilling to put the program on my back and degrade myself singing like Marilyn Monroe. How could you possibly degrade yourself with pipes like that? (laughs) Voice of an angel. Um, Unbelievable. and, and, And the reason... Folks, we, we've got a year of Ruthless. Can you believe it's already been a year? I can't believe it's been a year. It's shocking when you think about where we started yeah. with this during the middle of the pandemic, plugging microphones into the side of the computer. We're sitting in a beautiful studio watching live as Michael Duncan performs his best Marilyn. All right, onward and upward. Oh, it's so good. Well, we got a big one. It's an exceptional banger. I'm going to I'm gonna call it before we even have this. Calling show. it early. This, this is going to be a banger. It's like Babe Ruth pointing. Uh, we got a terrific interview. Who do we got, folks? Yeah, our guest today is Audrey Henson, a congressional candidate in Florida's 13th district. She's great. It's a great interview. Stick around for that. Yeah, I'm glad you did that interview. I've talked to her a couple of times. She seems exceptional, the kind of candidate that you want. In she's a- cool, and, and she's got a great life story, you know, the sort of story um, and the sort of background I think we need more of in Washington, so... Yeah, no, I, I listen, I completely agree. And plus, we got some good content here, don't we, Smug? We absolutely do. Uh, you know what? We should we should actually give a shout out to a minion. If our, yes. uh, for the listeners of the previous program, we had mentioned that there's a Spooktoberfest bratwurst, which is bratwurst being made with candy corn. And lo and behold, one of our minions, Justin E. Phillips, tweets, hey, where do I ship this? Got got what some of that stud. sending it into the Absolute studio. Absolute stud. The dude um, he DM'd in on the ruthless account, and he said he's shipping it on dry ice. Oh, you know, so it comes Amazing. in super fresh. You know, nice and you don't want trichinosis. You got to be careful with pork. That's right. You, well, you got to be careful with it. But I'll, you know, I'd like to invite you fellas over to grill them on my grill. I'm That's there. Great. Count me in. And I think we should film it. I think so. I'm a little skeptical of it. Uh, the can it's gonna be incredible. well uh, so the alternative is like what we bring in like a foreman grill here into the office yeah but we'll all die of like carbon monoxide you think so I, yeah. yeah i don't think you can do that not not a lot of ventilation none yeah none well either way we're gonna get it done yes speaking of not having oxygen <laughs> folks we got more bad polling news for biden good seg good seg <laughs> yeah. yeah you say you couldn't be done but yeah. you did it nice work uh yeah no more, more bad news so the new poll it shows that Biden has a 37% approval rating, 50% un, uh, disapprove. And if you go down the, the issue set, 
man, it just, it's ugly and uglier. Immigration, for example, 2758. Yeah. I mean, the crisis is apparent for all Americans at this point, the absolute disaster. Like the numbers that are being put out, uh, something like 1.7 million illegal immigrants have been encountered. So God knows what the total number must be like. It's a record. It's incredible. And, and that's why you got this number. Well, this, this is the one that's going to kill them, though. The economy, 36 approve, 53 disapprove. Yikes. I mean, I'll be honest. There has never once been a party with a president in power that has an economy approved in the mid-30s that hasn't gotten completely wiped out. Yeah, it's a shellacking on, on the way. It's coming. And, and 36% of Americans believe the economy will be in stronger position 12 months from now. That's an 11-point drop from March 2021. And this is what we were talking about. All those voters who, you know, for whatever reason, were in the center of the electorate and pulled the lever for Biden, were willing to give him a couple of quarters, and then Afghanistan happened, boom. That, no, was, that, no that really does feel like it was the tipping point because— you know, you saw, okay, these people don't know what they're doing. And then you look around, you're like, they haven't known what they're doing on any of this stuff. Um, in a new Politico morning consult poll, 62% of American voters say the administration's policies are either somewhat or very responsible for increasing inflation, including 41% of Democrats, 61% of independent voters, and 85% of Republicans. I mean, see, and the key there, the key there wow. is the 61 and 41. Mm -hmm. If you've got 41% of Democrats, listen, it's not a tough concept, as, as we've talked about before. When you flood the economy with unnecessary dollars, this kind of thing happens. And now you've got Democrats, 41%. Almost a majority of Democrats are saying it's that he's wild. responsible it's for wild. inflation. And, and then uh, there's a Grinnell poll that shows that in 2020, Joe Biden got 54% of the independent vote. Today, that support is at 28%. Oh. I mean, it is. Katie, bar the door. Katie, bar the door, as they say. <laughs> as they say. Yeah, Quinnipiac uh, had another one with Joe Biden at 37.52. I mean, I think what we're seeing here is it, it's there aren't polls outside of this uh, variants. I mean, this is the, the things crossed in August, mm -hmm. the lines crossed and they are just apart and they are just not going anywhere. And, well, and how do you change it? Here's the problem. Joe Biden can't string two coherent sentences together. No, he can't take questions from the press. He can't use the bully pulpit like most presidents would be able to, to try to message against this, right? Shift the narrative. Without that ability, they're rudderless. Exactly. And if you think of, if you think about the issues, particularly for independents, this poll is interesting because you've got the top three issues for independents, economy, COVID, immigration. Good luck, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. I mean, and, they're just they're sucking air on all of it. And so uh, Real Clear has him at 42% approval. That's the lowest of his presidency. And 538, Scott, for the first time of his presidency, Joe Biden has disapproval above 50%. And those are aggregates, right? Important to know what that means when you look at a real clear or a 538. They aggregate all the polls that have come out and they average them. Right. And so <laughs> what I was saying, like it is what it is, right? Yeah. This is not, you don't see a, a, a flyer poll that somehow he's got popularity. He doesn't. Every poll shows the exact same thing. No, because, I mean, like, typically what you'll see um, from the party in power in a situation like this is, like, they can brush off one poll, two polls, and be like, oh, well, that's an outlier, and then they can point somewhere else and be like, no, we're right. Yeah, right. You know? Right. 
Not happening. Not right. happening. Nobody's <laughs> seeing it. And like they're trying everything. Like you know, the brainworm libs on Twitter being like, "Right wing Politico has released." Yeah. Well, like right wing Politico, incredible. That shows you where things are right now, uh, and things are so bad for Biden. He's like radioactive. Like uh, Terry McAuliffe uh, running for governor, uh, the Dem running for governor of Virginia doesn't want anything to do with him. We are facing a lot of headwinds from Washington, as you know. The president is unpopular today, unfortunately, here in Virginia. So. I mean, wow. I mean, if yeah. you've got Democratic establishment, like, bootlicker, yeah. Terry McAuliffe walking away from a Democratic president, you know you got problems. And now we, now we, we actually, yesterday a poll came out, Monmouth as I call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Monmouth. Yeah. Um, it showed a dead heat. Yunkin, McAuliffe in the governor's race in Virginia, 46 apiece. My God. Well, and the thing that's very interesting here is that's uh, registered voters. Yeah. Now, for our listeners here, when you take a poll of registered voters versus likely voters, what you're doing is is you're just polling, you know, people who are registered on the voter file. What you're not accounting for in that is the enthusiasm gap that we're seeing in Virginia and around the country where Republican enthusiasm is sky high. Mm-hmm. Right. Democrats, not so much. They don't even want to talk politics. Well, so so the interesting thing about Monmouth <laughs> Mm-hmm. Is, that, just, is that they actually had a full section breakdown on enthusiasm, right? Their finding was that the disparity, this is, I'm quoting, the disparity has grown to a 23-point chasm in the current poll, 49% Republican to 26 Democrat. I mean, what that means, folks, for those of you who don't do this for a living, what it means is that the 49% of the Republican Party is absolutely going to walk over broken glass mm-hmm. to get to the poll, whereas only 26% of the Democratic Party is that motivated to go vote. That's a problem for Democrats. Well, and, and also, and I, I think Yunkin is peaking at the right time here. Now, and he, he's had enthusiasm and he's had the energy you know, ever since that last debate, right? And and he put out that great ad, you know, attacking McAuliffe for basically saying parents shouldn't have a voice in their in their schools. But you know, um, early voting opens for the first time this weekend. Like, there's been early voting like during the week. Who's gonna vote on the weekends? Yeah, I'm it's guessing the, the parents. The forty nine percent of yeah, the, of it's, the Republicans it's, it's are the parents. The, it's the parents. It's the parents who are too busy during the work week, either because they work or they're taking care of kids or what have you. They're coming out this weekend. They're coming. They're coming. Terry, be scared. And part of the reason, look, it's always been the case that these weird off year elections in Virginia and New Jersey have played an outsized role at shaping the political environment for the upcoming midterms, right? You'll all recall 2009, for example, when Republicans swept both of them, right. Chris Christie. Yeah. Friend of the program. Yep, friend of the program. Well, th- this is now thought of as an impossible task for Republicans because of the changing nature of Virginia. It's much harder than it was then, that's for much sure. Much harder. And it's been a very blue state the last two presidential elections. But now you let this guy hang around long enough... Republicans get their hand on the wheel. Boy, oh boy. I mean, if this if they win this, you hear this on Capitol Hill. Democrats are starting to plan their schedule about trying to get all these tough votes in before that election day in the event that they lose. Right. Because they know if they lose. It's going to be pinned on that. It's going to be pinned on the changing electorate, and you'll see every single 
sort of endangered incumbent on the Democratic side begin running for the hills. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, what are the moderates going to do? They're go- they're you think they're going to go along with this sham process of Nancy Pelosi linking, you know, this three point five trillion dollar socialist takeover with like the surface infrastructure bill? You know, like that's not going to work. If Terry McAuliffe loses, it's going to be a full on revolt. It will be a full on revolt, and it's and the thing is, it's probably the most important thing that Republicans as a party nationwide can do between now in November is try to figure out how to send resources and people and get all your Virginia friends to vote because that, in my view, has as big an influence on stopping the Democratic agenda as almost anything else. I mean, it could be kind of like uh, that Scott Brown victory. It's exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. If you recall, in December of 2009, when the Senate had passed that Obamacare bill on a party line vote, the January came around and all of a sudden Scott Brown wins in a state like Massachusetts yep. and they couldn't all of a sudden they knuckled under. They had to use the already passed bill and, and get it over the finish line because they couldn't pass it through the Senate again. Right. They had to use reconciliation. Yeah. 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 So it was I mean, look, it, it's a big deal. It has huge national ramifications, unquestionably. And, uh, I mean, along those lines of how toxic Biden is, we're, we've been telling folks uh, there's a red wave on the way, but who knew we're looking at a blue wipeout? Yeah. Folks, the supply chain has gotten so bad, paint makers are running out of the color blue. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, couldn't happen in a better time. Yeah, so it says here, Dutch paint maker uh, Axo Nobel NV is running out of ingredients to make some shades of blue, the latest fallout from the global supply chain disruptions that are spreading across manufacturers. I mean, that's that's really something. You can't like, even make blue anymore. Yeah, can't, can't, can't get blue. Um, and I, I uh, saw this very interesting statistic where they said that, okay, so we've all heard, uh, like, Long Beach, they've got, like, 100 ships docked waiting to unload. Yeah. Apparently, there's going to be another 50 ships in by Saturday. Oh, jeez. That is unbelievable. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, we talked about it on the last episode. You know, Mayor Pete goes on this paternity leave, doesn't tell anybody. Um, and now we're in, you know, a national crisis of our supply chain. You understand when you read a story like that, you understand why he's been on what, like 10 shows since we did that <laughs> yeah. episode. Yep. Yeah, right. You know, since we're like, hey, man, you you can go to Chicago to go see a documentary about yourself, but you can't do your job right now. And that's the thing is, I mean, it just underscores how many people in this administration are just not ready for the job, have no experience uh, whatsoever. Like what experience does a mayor from some, where is it, Indiana? A mayor from Indiana have running trillions of dollars worth of infrastructure. Okay, so I'm from Indiana, so I take offense to that. But yes, he is <laughs> a, he is not qualified for this job. But like, let's level set How here for a second. Buildings, <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. That An unbelievable building. attack on, uh, in, Indiana is the crossroads of America, okay? <laughs> and it's critical for our infrastructure and our supply chain. I, mean, I would they point need that infrastructure out. infrastructure there. The tallest buildings in Indianapolis this are like two absurd. stories. This is absurd. <laughs> this is a lie. Unbelievable. But back to the point. They host the combine. I know that. They host the combine. Do they do that? Is it's that the a- headquarters of the NCAA, the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Indianapolis is a great town. 
Smug's a real coastal elite. I mean, it's no, I ridiculous. mean, it, of course they have. They can get uh, Indianapolis 500. Everyone who goes to Indianapolis to a tee tells me it's like a field of concrete. There's nothing there. <laughs> just asphalt as far as I can see, and buildings are like two stories. We tall. had the Super Bowl. Max. We had the Super Bowl. What are you talking? Okay. You are derailing me here <laughs> from the point that I would like to make. And the point, the point is this. The point is this. Look, Mayor Pete, he, he's not qualified. Obviously, if this was a Republican administration, CNN would have 24 seven a ticker on their broadcast with the number of ports and the number of ships. I'll be a live live shot of the ships. Yeah, right. Totally. Right. They would have reporters camped outside the house of of the cabinet member being like, "Uh, are you going to do anything about this? They'd be chasing him at the airport. Totally. But now he's brave. Yeah. Oh, he's and, brave. And that's the thing is, they're, they're angry. Also brave. Because they can't deal with the fact that he's unprepared. They're trying to push this whole narrative. Hey, this is about paternity leave. It's not about paternity leave. It's about someone who's way in over their head, an administration that's way in over their head. Americans are suffering as a result of it, and they're trying to pass this let, off as, oh, oh, he's being attacked because let, he's let me trying tell to have you, paternity leave. Let me tell you the, the definitive proof that they know that this is a problem is the fact that Pete didn't tell anybody. Like, look, if he's an advocate for his community in talking about paternity leave, you would think he would announce it and say, this is important. He would say this is important at the outset. It is a this is I understand people would have a problem with this, but this is important. Right. And they would make a thing out of it. They didn't. They didn't take a single moment to tell anyone publicly that he was taking paternity leave. It's the same it's like the exact same thing on the border. They would not talk about the border until they could blame border patrol agents for, you know, yep. whipping people, which yeah. of course was bullshit. Yeah. But right, like they're not going to talk about any of this until they can be the victim. That's right. That's right. I mean, these people are so far over their head. Smug, you said it best. It's it's it is it, beyond belief that we still have to deal with like the amazing incompetence at every sector. Every sector. I just still can't believe he attacked Indianapolis. And that's the thing. So, uh, you know, uh, do we have, do you have the audio of Jen Stackey, what she said? Even as, as the sort of work to fight back against COVID proceeded, people, it was, it was crystal clear that things were not improving on supply chain. People couldn't get dishwashers and, and furniture and treadmills delivered on time, not to mention all sorts of other things. So why the is it? The tragedy of the short, the treadmill that's delayed. Right, the treadmill right, problem. So, again, like, the condescension there, to start with, uh, is constant from this administration. You had the chief of staff, Ron Klain, say, oh, if you complain about inflation, that's a high-class problem. And Saki's like, oh, I feel so bad for Americans because they can't get a treadmill. No, Americans are paying an insane amount for the same goods that they were buying last year at 20 30 Gas is almost double in some places. Meat is, is, is like, uh, I think bacon's like 30% more. You know, uh, and, and they're saying, oh, the crisis of not being able to get your treadmill. It's just dripping. Condensation. It's just so weird. It's just so weird, dude. It's like this weird snark where like it seems like she's basically playing for like the Twitter dunk audience. Yeah. You know, and it's like you're doing this from the podium. You, you, you're paid by the taxpayers. Who are you? Yeah, well, yeah exactly. so, so but the tone, if you've noticed in that fits perfectly is fits with the army of op-ed writers that they deployed to right. the Washington Post that now start lowering 
expectations and, about what and they you literally sh- write an opinion consumer. saying Washington Post runs an op-ed saying lower expectations, America. Yeah, so it literally is at the point of the program where we're talking about put on a sweater and turn down the heat. Yeah, right? Yeah, right. Your lifestyle that you've been accustomed to as an American has been too good. I mean, I, I'm I'm half expecting this administration by Christmas to be like, listen, pets can also be considered a food source. Right. <laughs> yeah, bread, bread lines are good. Yeah, it builds community it to does. stand in that it line does. in the cold and wait for bread. They're gonna be like, everyone, please social distance in the bread lines. <laughs> Put on your mask. Don't eat the bread through your mask, or do eat the bread bread through yeah. your mask. In between in between bites of bread in the bread lines, please put your mask back on. It's uh, unbelievable. The, the the and like you said, it's, it's talking down to folks so much that you know people can't buy milk, and, and like I said, gas costs double. But Saki thinks it's just delayed treadmills. It's just the message that Trump won on, and that resonated of how like DC and coastal elites hate them. It's just being proven true every day. Every day. Podium. Every day. And, there, and they, there is no sign of stopping. The funny thing is watching this continued debate over this $3.5 trillion mess that they've got going on, that now they've totally shifted the Overton window entirely mm-hmm. about what they're... Now it's like, oh, yeah, no, my plan was $2 trillion. You yeah. guys noticed this? Well, $2 trillion, but quickly. also it costs nothing. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's $2 trillion and it costs nothing. Meanwhile, they literally have been fucking this up since July. Right. And I, I mean, right before we recorded this, I was listening to the radio and I'm listening to some CBS radio guy give the analysis of what's happening. He's like, well, Democrats are quite optimistic. They feel like they've got a, a good consensus building and they're going to get to the end of this process with a hefty proposal that everybody's going to agree on. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm like, dude, have you opened your eyes for the last three months? Right. They have literally screwed up every possible thing that you could screw up. And the environment's getting worse. It's getting worse. You know, <laughs> it's like this process doesn't get easier the longer it goes on. It gets more difficult. And it's, but it's crazy to me. Like they look like, oh, Biden this week is meeting with the moderates. The moderates. And then they roll in like Catherine Cortez Masto, who just voted for like a three and a half trillion dollar Bernie Sanders right, budget. Right. Oh, moderate as hell, right? <laughs> moderate. Because everybody wants to socialize America. Right, right, right. Like the moderates are moderate within a bunch of communists. Right. I mean, right. We have a 50 50 Senate. You're trying to pass a $3.5 trillion stimulus bill and you're acting like you're FDR. <laughs> it's, it's just insane. Completely nuts. I, I Listen, it is worth reading and watching the coverage on this if you're a Republican. I, I know I hate it too, but it's worth watching it because of the comic relief that, that you get by watching analysts twist themselves into knots to try to show momentum for this garbage. Right. You know? Right. As if at the end of the road, they pass some $1.5 trillion, $2 trillion bill, and it's going to be good for them. I mean, have they looked at the polls that exactly. we just read? The polling shows you r- exactly what voters are thinking, and they're like, uh-uh. They're like, no, 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 no. That's the problem. The pro- you're trying to solve the problem. You're making it a thousand times worse. And, right. and, and the media is trying to turn this into, wow, Joe Manchin and cinema are evil people. When they're like, folks, I, I look at the polling, and Americans do not want this. Like, you know, it's a different uh, world. For for the for the media people in their in their acela bubble, 
that get their marching orders from the administration. Like Ron Klain, you want a Ron Klain retweet? You got to have brainworms at this point. Yeah, dude. I, so, um, I saw on CNN like two nights ago a like full package of a a reporter going to West Virginia. Oh, uh, come to, on. To, to, I'm dead serious. It. it it actually looked like a Democratic campaign ad. <laughs> they found somebody in West Virginia who no, was like, Joe no, Manchin, well, no, no, they, they, CNN sent a reporter to West Virginia to basically be like, to tell all these people who like make their living in coal, like keeping the lights on in America, like how evil they are for not supporting the Green New Deal. <laughs> are you serious? No, it, I mean, it was insane. And of course, there was a big wind up about, you know, Joe Manchin, how bad he is because, you know, these, uh, these coal producers, you know, give him campaign contributions, like, it's West Virginia. And, and, and I want to kind of touch on something uh, there. Um, it was these same people who I remember, like under uh, President Obama, these journos would write all these articles about how, why can't West Virginia coal miners just learn to code? Oh, yeah, that They used to that. say, learn to code. And, and like when this got flipped on all the journos, once the layoffs started hitting journalism, oh, they, hated it. they got Twitter to brand learn to code as like hate speech. Yeah, right. Ban people. Right. So like... It's incredible that these people have not learned from, no, from what they've done. You know, it reminds me back when um, in, in 2016, the Ted Cruz campaign had this great ad um, about illegal immigration. Mm -hmm. And the argument was basically like, it's easy for you to say it's not a problem because they're not going to take your job, journalists. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if all these migrants under a bridge, um, you know, at the border right now, if if we, I don't know, like made them reporters, maybe they'd have a different opinion. I mean, I tell you what, they'd probably do a better job. That's <laughs> <laughs> they'd probably do a better job. I do. I think it would be easier if Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin just became Republicans at this point. Let's do it. You know, also Kristen Nunu should run for Senate. Let's go. He should run for Senate. He should. Uh, what I want to get into completely change the gears on this is. So the other night I, uh, I finally succumbed to almost like the global peer pressure. Uh, I saw this this little tidbit from Netflix's quarterly report where it said that over 140 million households worldwide have seen their show Squid Game. Oh, yeah, it's a big one. 140 million yeah, households. Yeah, I watched it. My wife and I watched the entire thing in two nights. It It's really... It's yeah. pretty dark, right? Very dark. And well, the first like episode and a half is really tough to get through but like it's necessary because it builds basically the stakes of like well, why would somebody actually play this squid game yet like their lives are terrible so you know so to explain the premise briefly it takes place in south korea and they find a there's a bunch of folks they show their lives of how they are like up to their eyeballs in debt uh you know in terrible situations and then eventually they get invited to take part in this like kind of like billionaire island game show that isn't really being televised. It's just for other billionaires to watch. Uh, like hundreds of indebted people compete. It's kind of like Hunger Games. Like people will die playing these like children's games. Right. Like they'd play red light, green light, and if you move, you know, a sniper shoots you, right? Yeah. Um, and the thing, the point is, is that like, you know, they're going to get hundreds of millions of yeah, dollars. Yeah, they're like playing for a jackpot. Yeah, a ton of money if, if they end up being the winner. Um. So I thought it was a great premise, you know, um, and, and my take, honestly, from super it, dark, my take from it was 
It's a shame in real life that all our billionaires want to go to space when we could have had. We just need one billionaire step up to the plate, get a, get an island, and set up Squid Game because I mean the ratings would be insane. You could chart, you know, top dollar on pay per view. Well, okay, so so it's like the ultimate sport because it's not like you know you shake hands after the game. Wait, so you're calling someone's winning in this? You're for calling real. for Squid Game's reality. You want it to be real. I'm, if everyone signs contracts, knows what they're getting into, because it's like if you're in the NFL, like hey. Listen, man, some of these, like, defensive linemen, they will break you, right? You know what you're signing up for. No quarterback's playing for free. Yeah. But they're killing people. (laughs) I mean, hey, you know, a lot of people get hurt in a lot of different ways. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> and they make the good point on the on the, on the show where they're like, you know, having a significant amount of debt is like dying every day. So it's just like, you know, kind of shrinking the misery from, you know, a lifetime of being in debt to like so, a week where you could die. So you have a lot of dreams for what, you know, billionaires would do. Um, make Westworld real. I want real. Elon to make Westworld real. You want to make Westworld real. And, and also you want Jurassic Park. I do. So for years... To hunt them and eat them. But I guess what I'm saying, what, what I'm asking is, if you had to prioritize these, which would you want what, first? Game, Westworld, or Jurassic, Jurassic Park? Number one, Westworld, hands down. Hands down. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the, the beauty of this is for years, I would tweet at Elon when he would talk about his rockets or, you know, you know, tunnels underground, whatever the hell he's working on. I'd say, Elon, stop wasting our time. No one wants goddamn rockets. Make Westworld real. Right. And then uh, I want to say it was like three, four months ago. He announces he's making like human ro- human like robots. So it finally works. You know, Twitter bullying is the most effective power. It is. A person can yeah, cyber bullying. You're works. Very good. So I, I would I would say number one would be Westworld because I'd be I mean, come on. Like, yeah. it, it, it's essentially like you can just go out and just shoot people, but they're robots. So who cares? You know, that's fine. Um, but then I would probably put uh, uh, Squid Game above Jurassic Park. Wow. Because really? Because the thing wow. is, is that like, you know, uh, Jurassic Park had pretty lifelike dinosaurs, right? Yeah. I mean, I like to shoot a T-Rex. If it, they could No, because it, like, you can eat their little chicken arms. Yeah, well, the thing is. The vestigial arms, they got to be tender. Well, you got to, you have to marinate them, I believe, because I think they're going to be too tough. You like, think so? You I know do. how in Texas you can get those like helicopters and then just like shoot, shoot guns, pigs, shoot yeah. pigs? If you could do that with dinosaurs, then I'd prioritize that, you know, but just to look at them, I mean. No, no, it's all about hunting really. and eating them. Yeah. I mean, that would, that you know, that would make it more difficult for me to choose. Okay. So. But this human show misery would be so great. But it's not really misery, you know, it's kind of like an opportunity. It's an opportunity. That's you, you know, you're looking at the negative. But most of the this people about, die. I mean, hey, no one survives life, right? But everyone gives it a shot still. <laughs> oh, Deep God. thoughts from comfortably <laughs> smug. That is I feel like we should put that on a promo. That is so good. Oh man. <laughs> well, I mean, look, speaking of missing in action. There you go. Uh our president, believe it or not, has basically been nowhere. Have you guys noticed this? Yes. Yes. We, we pointed it out. We're like, the guy hasn't had a press conference, ha- has had fewer press conferences than, like, any president in the past, what, decades? Right. Yeah, so so there was a list published of, by I think by Politico, of all of the interviews that he's done. <laughs> this is... This list is ridiculous. Holy hilarious. Shit. So he did one in People Magazine. February 3rd. Really hard-hitting stuff there. Yeah. And then he did CBS Noro O'Donnell during a Super Bowl. It was a Super Bowl halftime. Yeah, yeah. So this is not this is not like a you know this is a Super Bowl deal. Yeah. He did Univision, which, as we know, uh, was basically entirely in the tank for him. 
And it was with the first lady, so you know what that was like. Yeah. It was like, oh, hey, how fun is it in the White House? Yeah, show me your backyard. And that was February 26th. Right. So then he did Stephanopoulos, which if you recall this in March, it's too early to get into. It was still honeymoon phase. Right. And always I like to remind people, George Stephanopoulos is not a reporter. The guy was Bill Clinton's comms Comms director. director. Yeah, comms director. Right. So then he does ESPN. Which is probably more left wing than Media Matters. <laughs> no, he's you speak truth on that. It's insane. You yeah. speak truth on that. Uh, and then he did NBC News' Craig Melvin. Yeah. And Real that's, hard that's, hitter. That's at the end of April. Real hard hitter. And then Lawrence O'Donnell. I bet he got some tough ones there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then the New York Times is David Brooks, who, uh, you know what? I, I don't know why we have not put this guy on blast. On, yeah. Well, no, he should go on King of the Hill, don't you think? Yes. Because he's technically a Republican, right? He fashions himself as a Republican. Well, look, you guys pick. Occasionally, Brooks drops takes that piss off libs, though. So I, I like following him to see the replies. Yeah, he's just drifted so far left. It's just hard. And then and then he did uh, the Atlantic's, and, and I will say, uh, a bracket champion. I think he won a round or two. Edward Isaac Dover. Yeah, I mean, and that's left-wing is all hell again. And, that was, and here's what's interesting is, so he does that. May 25th. The next one he does is August 18th, again with George Stephanopoulos. Yeah, it goes back to Clinton's comms director. And then... Nothing. 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 (laughs) Yeah, like Afghanistan happens, and he's like, whoa. Well, anytime he does one of these interviews, they have to deal with 10 days of corrections. (laughs) You know? Like, look, I get it. Like, at at a pragmatic standpoint, I understand why you want to limit this guy's interactions with the press. None of these ended up good for Joe Biden. (laughs) Right? I mean, no, I get it. Like, I get it as strategy. I mean, the guy was ran for president. Well, in the basement, in the basement. Biden, Biden. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing anyway. And so uh, there was a great uh, tweet from Alex Thompson at Alex Tomp. Uh, He's the White House reporter uh, at Politico. It says, uh, uh, no, no. uh, It's notable that Biden has not done any extensive interviews with reporters from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, press or Reuters. <laughs> it is notable. Notable. It's noticed particularly because all of those publications would give him the benefit of the doubt, and they still can't. It's like if a Republican was like, oh, I just, you know, I, I can't I can't possibly talk to Breitbart. Right? You know what I mean? It's like, or the Daily Wire. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I just not. Hannity's going to be too tough yeah, for me. Yeah, I can't do Tucker tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't, I just don't understand. I guess he's just that bad. And that's the thing is, so not only does he have to deal with everything the administration does is an absolute failure. Like, Honestly, it's in his best interest to do an interview now because there'll be another disaster tomorrow. That's you right. You know, so so you'll look better today than you will tomorrow. Things keep going downhill. Um, but the I think part of the reason is, man, when he talks. It ain't good. It ain't good. not good at all. Did I mean, you like, guys Kamala's see- like, oh, yes, get him to talk, you know. <laughs> I'm ready to 25th. Did you guys see the video um, on, on the White House lawn? There was like a band playing. Yeah. Oh, and oh, and he was talking over the and band. he just sort of he sort of just wanders over to the microphone. There's like five or six handlers around him, and then Secret Service agents, and no one was able to stop him from taking a left and, <laughs> and going to the microphone. And he, he he starts talking over the band like he's about to deliver some remarks. 
not planned and no audience no audience for them you know what i mean there was nobody looking at him to do anything and he just steps to the microphone and starts mumbling and they had to pull him away and then he just walked on it i want to say that i want like the guy has to draw a clock like i have to see he if donald trump has to take a cognitive test and this guy's meandering around the white house lawn to a microphone like like apropos of nothing, like nothing's going on over a band. The guy has to draw a clock. Draw a clock, Joe. Draw. A I mean, that, clock. And, and that's what makes this more outrageous from this completely absent press. Is they tried pushing these news stories like, is Donald Trump all up there? Is this working out okay? Does he? Need we had to associations of psychiatrists saying, you yeah. know, that he's mentally unstable. And this guy can't form a sentence and wanders to microphones. And a reminder: Trump's the guy who, during a debate live. When, when Hillary's like, well, I guess it's a good thing you're not president. He's like, yeah, because you'd be in jail. Like, if you could drop bangers like lit. that on the spot, that was you, your brain is 10 out of 10. You are there. <laughs> it's good. Like, Biden, like, they can't even get him prepared interviews. It's that bad. Well, there's all kinds of crises across the United States, but one crisis that we've had our eye on here at the Ruthless Variety program was the zebras. You recall a few months ago we talked about Eleanor Holmes Norton proclaiming her oh, innocence. Yeah. Right, the press release about the escaped zebras. And then all of the local press taking it seriously. Yeah, right, right. right. That's, that's the thing. Where she's like in Maryland or something? I think she's a Maryland. She's like, D.C. No, she's D.C. It's a fake It's a fake representation. It's a fake rep. It's not real. Um, of where she she puts out this press release saying, like, uh, I just want everyone to know I am not responsible for the escaped zebra. Right? <laughs> and, and, then, and then the local news ran with, like, Eleanor Holmes Norton today. Denied. Denied. <laughs> Denies all allegations. It was, the, like, just a disaster. And for it's well press. because the zebras, to this day, are on the loose. So they're on the loose. And I wanted to give an update because... Um, there's been a tragedy. Yeah. Originally, we were like, oh, hey, because the other day, this report comes out where they're like, uh, believe it or not, we are going to use zebras to capture the zebras. Yeah. So, the, so the, the headline a couple of days ago was new plan for catching fugitive Maryland zebras, more zebras. <laughs> and so what they, I want. Yeah. I mean, I support this. I want to see where this well, goes. So what they tried to do was lure the escaped zebras who've now been on the loose for like six weeks. They wanted to lure these escaped zebras back to their pen right. by putting other zebras in their pen, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, I mean, look, I'm not a zebra capturer, but it seems reasonable. Okay. They'd want to hang out with their buddies. Yeah. Well, it's fast forward about 48 hours. The owner of three escaped zebras from Maryland has been charged with three counts of animal cruelty <laughs> after one of the zebras was reported to have been discovered dead in a snare trap. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> A he, snare trap? Snare trap. Like, here's the thing is we all knew this plan wouldn't work. It's like, who sends zebras to catch zebras? Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Like, you can ask a three-year-old, you want to catch a zebra? What do you do? Send out a lion. Send a lion. Like, have like a... You, I don't think that's catching. I no, think that's killing. I mean, if we could tell everyone, Catch hey, and kill is a practice. That's right. If you can tell everyone, hey, stay inside for a week because of COVID, you could say, stay in for a couple hours. The lion is loose, right? You just, like, emergency broadcast, hey, we have an emergency lion out there. He's going to take care of the zebra. I am, I am not surprised that Smug has taken the take uh, against the zebras. Uh, they represent horses in a lot of ways. And uh, as we know, you're not a fan of horses. I mean, I could take a horse, but it's not that I hate them. And it depends on the horse. Could too. you take a zebra, though? Um, no, no. You don't think so? Totally different. Because no, they're, they're wild. Exactly. 
Zebras have and not I think been accustomed mean. to years of like, or you know, a thousand years of of being mankind. Yeah, d- yeah. No, no domestication. Yeah. Going Do you think on. they have a, a, a thicker midsection, like a, a rib? That oh, would be uh, yeah, diff- they're built for trouble. Yeah. You know, they got to yeah. run from lions. Well, clearly they know how to survive. They're still on the loose. Yeah. Well, one's not. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> one's not. <laughs> Yikes! It had a snare trap incident, which is unfortunate for the owner because he's now uh, apparently going to the brig. But we'll keep on this, folks. It's diligent uh, reporting from the Ruthless Variety Program. We're going to keep our eyes on those zebras. That's yeah, important. Oh, and I want to jump on, speaking of ensnared, real quick. We had uh, an update on, on Terry McAuliffe, the clown running for uh, Virginia governor, the Dem, uh, where he straight up just walked out of an interview. So, so did you misspeak during that debate? No, I was talking about what we need to do, bringing people together. We have the state boards, we have the electoral, the uh, election, we have the board of education, and we have the local school boards who are all involved in this process. Dude. I mean, he sounds so flustered. Wait, so wait, so wait. Does he, do you guys ever, does anybody stop and say in Virginia, like, this guy is running, he's like, he sounds like a, like a Chicago uh, electrician. Right, like, how is this guy running for governor in Virginia? I think oh. what's 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 so amazing is the guy has been governor, and it's incredible because he seems so unprepared to answer <laughs> questions about being governor. And he's been like a political creature his entire life. Like the this guy exists basically because he he was like the Clintons' bitch. Like he'd raise him money, they say Terry, get us money. Yeah, this is how long he's been in the game. He should know by now what the hell he's doing. But you he's think. like, I mean, you listen to. Oh, well, uh, well, we're going to the, uh, 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 we're talking about the school birds in the LA, uh, uh, I mean, it's, what the hell is this? And, and reminder, this is the guy who his wife was delivering a kid and he dipped out, didn't show up because he was like, I got a Clinton fundraiser. No. You didn't hear about, this is a true story. I'm no not way. This shit up. Dead, dead serious, man. Instead of attending <laughs> the birth of his child, he dipped because he had to make it to a Clinton fundraiser. Get out of here. Jeremy is like. True scumbag. Wow. That's incredible. Oh, well, yeah. I couldn't make it to the fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, birth of the child. I hope you name it after me because I'm going to go <laughs> to the fundraiser for Clinton. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, what's the name of the kid? I mean, it's insane. He left insane. the delivery room. Hey, to honey, go to a fundraiser. honey, you're on your own. I got to go to this. I got to go to this thing. I love that you're giving them an upper Midwest accent there. Well, That's great. Uh, can we hear the audio? Do we have it again? Let's listen to it. So did you misspeak during that debate? No, I was talking about what we need to do. It's there. Tell me I'm together. wrong. No, it's there. No, you're right. Boards. We have the electoral. We have the state the, uh, boards. Election. We got the boards. We have the board of education. And oh, we have the, the education local school board. We're involved in this process. We're involved in the process. And by the way, I, as an upper Midwesterner, I am allowed to make oh, fun of Of course you accents. are. Look, I get it. I but get that it. is that is in Virginia... It would seem a departure from the local dialect. Yeah. Uh, apparently not for Democrats. I don't know. Yeah, and, and so, like, uh, you know, the, the news station gave, tw- they, they were told, uh, they told Yunkin, they told McAuliffe, we'll give you 20 minutes. You know, we're going to interview, ask you questions. Yunkin does the 20 minutes. Terry leaves after 10 being like, hey, uh, you're asking the wrong questions, which is an amazing thing to tell a journalist. You you're, know they're doing their not job. Not if you're a Democrat. Yeah, that's not the if, problem. See, if you're a Democrat, you expect everything to Pelosi be, does it all the time. Right, right. It's supposed to be handed to you on a silver platter. She's like, you mean you're not taking dictation this afternoon? Right. <laughs> that's outrageous. <laughs> that's what we do here. You, you take know, the, dictation. The best part of that whole kerfluffle 
is so Terry does 10 minutes and he storms off from the interview when they actually broadcast this on local news, the anchor has to do a whole wind up being like, we wanted Terry to be there for 20 minutes, but he didn't, he didn't do it. You know, it didn't work out when they have to like preface it. It's like, like, so folks, this is why things are all messed up. It's actually the most persuasive attack ad on Terry McCullough right there. (laughs) Oh, well, I just had a thing I had to go to. I couldn't, ah, and that's the thing is they know they, they're in a pickle on, on this uh, education and, and, and parents having a right to, to know what their kids are being taught. They're, they know they're in such a pickle, and he's completely flustered about it. It must not be fun to be working. Parents don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need to know anything. It's, it's all the teachers that know. Incredible. <laughs> Terry McCullough, governor. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. So immigration. <laughs> Let's just do one little uh, uh, hit on immigration because we cover this all the time. But it, uh, these things are worth covering because they're actually historic. Yep. The U.S.-Mexico border arrest reached its highest level since 1986. Yeah. With more than 1.7 million migrants detained in the 2021 fiscal year. Well, that can't be true, Holmes. That That, that is oh. impossible because I was told back in the spring that this was seasonal. Oh, I thought, yeah, I, yeah that's right. It was seasonal. It was seasonal. It was going to go down. Biden's got this under control. Kamala's in charge. Yeah, right. That's right. She's the right? border czar. She went a thousand miles away from where the crisis is <laughs> happening. And, and and she also tried giving that speech, uh, you know, don't come. After every Democrat on stage at their primary debate raised their hand saying that, yes, I support providing anyone who enters the U.S. illegally, you know, an income and health insurance. So, hey. Right. Right. <sighs> they want to decriminalize these border crossings. You don't think. Anybody who's thinking about making that journey, that hard journey, a thousand miles, you know, from Central America, sees that and is like, okay, that's my green light. Well, their next leg of the journey gets a little easier. I think we've got audio on some of this stuff. Why is the administration flying thousands of migrants from the border to Florida and New York in the middle of the night? Uh, well, I'm not sure that it's in the middle of the night, but let me tell you what's happening here. Um, it is our a.m. Well, he, very he, early in the morning. Here we are talking gone. about early flights earlier than you might like to take. a. Unbelievable, like absolutely unbelievable. And if you didn't hear that, what Ducey said was that the flights were at 2.30 a.m. and 4.29 a.m. And again, it's that snark. Mm-hmm. It's that condescension, which is absolutely incredible from somebody from the podium who we pay your salary. Right. I mean, like, this isn't this isn't you being, um, you know, asked a question by a reporter on the side of the street. You're at the podium representing the government of the United States. She's and you're just going to straight up just, like, be like, Oh, it's not the. It's it's earlier than maybe you'd like to get up. Two thirty in the morning. Two thirty a.m. Like, let's be real. It's the middle of the night, that's the dude. That's a fucking going, lie. You know what's going on. You know what's going on. They don't want anybody to see what's going on because they're taking people, thousands of migrants from the border, and they're taking them to other states. They're taking them to other states. And, and so my take on this is, I do not support them being sent to Florida. I fully support them being sent to New York. Any any area where like they're talking about these like salt, you know, deductions, these these tax breaks for millionaires. Listen, we have like coastal liberals, millionaires who 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 try to push open borders policies. I want them 
to live with the ramifications of that. Not folks who are competing for jobs against someone who is here illegally and gets paid an illegal amount of money for fighting for a job. Let's, let's, let's send them right to Midtown Manhattan with a job application to work at the New York Times. 100%. I, again, profound wisdom from Comfortably Smug, because I think we've gotten this all wrong. What we should have been doing is advocating for for uh, these these paradises against prosecution all along. Yep. Sanctuary cities, yeah, totally should probably be. You know what? You want it? Terrific. There you go. You're a sanctuary. We got a, we got a plane coming today. Yeah, yeah. Right. You got fifteen thousand that were living under a bridge. Congratulations. I, I love that our American supply chain is utterly broken, and that there's backups in every single port across this country. But the supply chain of you know shipping migrants from the border across the country is, is going oh, yeah. really well. This Spinning is like a top. on that. Spinning like a top. It's incredible to me. And I also think Great it's, point. It, what's really interesting is, again, if a Republican was president, um, there'd be a live feed outside that tarmac as those planes took off about oh, totally. how irresponsible this was and how it happened in the middle of the night with no, no awareness from the press and no one was alerted. And you'd have governors making public statements about how, I mean, why are we not in contact with the Trump administration That's the thing, is this? if you have to hide something in the dead of night, it's something you're not proud of. Right. It's, it's just like with the Pete stuff. It's like, if you were on paternity leave, announce you were on paternity leave. Right? That's it. 100%. Yeah, no, no, no. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Should we play a game? Let's play a game. Okay. King of the Hill, let's fucking go. Ah, the signature. The signature game. For the Signature Variety Program. All right, so who do we have? So uh, I lost. Yeah. Unbelievably. To, I'm bringing, you know, reigning champion Jen Rubin. But but here's the thing. Like, there has been a lot of minion reaction to my loss. Okay, yeah. You're, you're, you're talking about the college football take that Bill Crystal had. Yeah. Now, look, I thought it was, that was, good. It was a great brainworm take and everything. I discounted it because I thought the guy was kind of kidding. Yeah, you exactly. It was sarcasm. I thought he was kind of kidding. Yep. I, I, I don't think Bill, like Bill Crystal is an idiot. Don't get me wrong. But like, I think he was trying to be a little bit funny with that. And so I didn't take it the same way I took the rest of the brain worms. And that's okay. why he's the judge and jury. Well, I'm not arguing with him. I'm just saying that the minions had a problem with it. That's fine. I mean, they're mad at me about all of my decisions, <laughs> which I accept. So I decided I'm going to load up a real cannon here. Okay. I'm going to bring off the bench Max Boot. Yes. He's gotten a lot of RTs from Ron Klain recently. Oh, uh, and I just, I felt like he's got a hot stick. And I looked around and I felt like I felt comfortable with his body of work this week. Great. Well, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, yo. Attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the red corner, fighting in the shade of his own fedora. A maximum war now, war forever, boot. And now, in the blue corner, uh, hiding out of the Washington Post and reigning champion of the world, Jennifer Brainworms Ruben. Ah, oh, it's great stuff. Uh, I'm ready. 
I'm ready. Oh, all right. So, Smug, you are our champion now, so you got to go first, pal. Okay, so uh, I'm going to reference something we discussed earlier uh, in a previous episode uh, where Stacey Abrams said that she was not entitled to be governor. You know, the big lie. Yeah. That <laughs> the election was stolen from her. Uh, this is Jen Rubin on October 14th. 11, 10 a.m. Brilliant. Who would have thought Stacey Abrams has a great quote on this? She's pushing the big lie, folks. <laughs> Wait, is that a quote tweet? It was a reply to uh, Paul Farhi. When when Jen was, uh, Rubin was referencing her own book about the resistance, how women saved America from Trump. Uh, she got right into Stacey Abrams. Brilliant. Who would have thought? Stacey Abrams has a great quote on this. A great quote on her book? No, a great or? quote on... Uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe? On She Was Not Entitled. Oh, to yeah. Governor. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean, she's pushing the big life, folks. Yeah, she she's pushing it, which is something. Um, all right, what I like about Boot is that he's picked up some frame of reference from Ruben about being the recipient of the Klain RT, right? So okay. he, he's now shouldered arguments as such, whatever the Biden administration is pushing. And in this case, they've gotten in trouble with COVID, clearly, because of the results. This is his take. There's not much Biden can do about masochistic right-wingers like Dennis Prager, (laughs) who says he deliberately became infected with COVID-19 to develop natural immunity. But Biden is doing everything he can to combat COVID, and his efforts are paying off. <laughs> I, I had to start hot. I had to start hot. He's basically, basically everybody, everybody. <laughs> I cannot believe that that's real. It is, dude, it is. It is. It is. It's, it's, Biden is doing everything he can. And it's paying off, despite the fact that more people have died on his watch than died in the year the pandemic started. Before we had the vaccine. But the real problem here is the is the masochistic right wingers. If not for them, Man. we'd be out of this mess. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a jewel. Well, so they both lean in pretty hard. Like, here's the thing is like Jen Rubin leaning in on what Stacey Abrams says. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Her entire grift these days is being like democracy must be saved. From right. A big lie. And she pushes. I mean, the audaciousness of Stacey Abrams to say that, that she was not entitled to win and to this day has not conceded that race. Right. And, 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 and the, you know, Jen pro-voting Rubin who defends our democracy against tyrants thinks yes good yes I agree (laughs) big lie is very good it's interesting I just don't think it can hold the candle to what I just heard on the other side it's a boot which is just absolutely incredible lunacy so for that reason Holmes wins round one thank you thank you Okay, so for my second selection, 
I'm I, I'm curious what you come with on the second because yeah. I feel like you kind of played a nuke there. I, I did play a nuke, but I needed to get hot. Yeah, I needed a hot start. It was an interesting strategy because typically, like the person who who plays second, yeah, like maybe they do play that stronger one. But you played. Maybe it's your best. Maybe I don't know. Well, we'll, I, well I, we'll find out. I feel like I've got one better, but I did hear smugs. <laughs> and any time that she's flipping on Stacey Abrams stolen election stuff, I got I can't lose the round. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Full disclosure, that was my weakest one. Like, yeah, okay. I, it's Let's like I was go. Bridge. I'm okay. making these hands later. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So, <clears throat> one thing I, I love about about Boot is his like complete hyperbole when it comes, like everything is the end of times. Yeah. Right. So there's this poll that comes out that we decided on the program. It says Joe Biden won the presidency in 2020 with 54% of the independent vote today. That support is 28%. If 2024 election were today, Biden and Trump would both get 40% of the vote with 14% saying they would vote for somebody else. What is Max Boots' reaction to that? He RTs it and says, this is how democracy dies. What? Because, because Biden has slipped to 40. It's how democracy dies. I can, help. I can beat that. I don't know, man. No, this is crazy. You got to have something good that. with that. So, so last week I said the worms have tunneled all their way in to like central decision making part of brain. Right, they're at the function. cortex. They are, and and this is so hot because <laughs> I'm just going to read this. Jen Rubin, sixteenth uh, of October. If the White House wants to show its sincerity, include voting infrastructure. She has now created her own messaging of like getting rid of the filibuster federalizing elections she's calling that infrastructure like we made him like Whoa. there was a meme of like oh you know wait the, the sky you, is blue is infrastructure hr1 is now infrastructure, infrastructure? <laughs> dude she really went with that no she calls it voting infrastructure voting infrastructure <laughs> fuck I, i'm you got it <laughs> look voting look, infrastructure the one, <laughs> got it. that's fucking amazing <laughs> look the one thing i would say that i appreciate about Max Boots' take there is he fashions himself a truth teller. Yeah. <laughs> like like the guy who obviously he's like now a left-wing activist on Twitter, but he's going to tell you the the hard truths is what he thinks. <laughs> Democracy dies with Biden right. at 40. With Biden at 40, <laughs> which is just like, it's I, incredible. I thought I was going for a sweep, to be honest with you. I, look, it, it, in any normal environment where you're not up against Brain Worms Queen, yeah. it's it's a pretty good take, but it, it can't beat that. Voting infrastructure. Voting votes. infrastructure. A new, a new vernacular. Smug wins round two. All right, Smug. What do you got for round three, pal? You better bring heat because I got something for you. Yeah, that's the thing is there's a lot of bangers here. Um... Okay, here we go. I think I'm going to roll this one out. This is a reply to Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, the... The director who's now yeah. just a dude out of his mind on Twitter. Uh, it says, Rob Reiner, we are being ruled by an unchecked... This is four days ago. Uh, this is current. This is not an old <clears> tweet <throat> she's replying to. Rob Reiner says, we're being ruled by an unchecked, disturbed sociopath. 
his lunatic white supremacist followers, and Joe Manchin. We no longer live in a democracy, and Ruben replies, and the partisan hacks on the Supreme Court. If it weren't nut- Joe Biden is president. Exactly. If they control the House and the Senate. If it weren't nutty enough to be like, hey, Trump's calling all the shots when Dems control all branches of government. She's cute. She throws the like, you know, the <laughs> the, the, the chocolate syrup on this Sunday of brain worms. It's incredible. She's like, and the Parson mm. hacks on the Supreme Court. We got to get rid of them, too. I have to- <laughs> Honestly, dissolve Supreme Court. I, That's I, the only way we can stop Trump. I have to take off my head as judge and jury for one second for one second on this and be and the reason why is because we told you this we told you this in january yep we told you this in february that the democrats because they actually didn't have the governing majority that they would like you to think they have to pass a 3.5 trillion dollar stimulus bill and all this left-wing socialist bullshit would need to invent a boogeyman, mm-hmm. an enemy that would be the reason why they can't do all the things that they want to do is that we have this creeping fascism in America and that we have to do everything we can to stop it. And that's what this tweet is. 100%. Right? Like they control literally all the levers of power yeah. in Washington, the White House, the Senate, the House. But the problem is Joe Manchin. Yeah. The problem is yep. Donald Trump. Yep, Don, Donald Trump. You know we have to stop his presidency by getting rid of the Supreme Court. She, Jen Rubin, has the answer. Like but, this is the problem. It's not that America. The polling shows Americans are pissed off at this garbage bill, spending three trillion dollars when they can't afford milk and eggs. Jen Rubin and the Parson acts on the Supreme <laughs> Court. We gotta get him to it. Incredible. So very good. A, a very good submission. I saved my nuke. No. I saved my nuke. Max Boot, for most of you, uh, you know that he is a contributor to the Washington Post. He is also a contributor to CNN. I love this wind-up. This is on... um, I'm trying to think of how to sequence this, but let's just read the tweet, and then I'll provide... Commentary. The commentary as to why it is the best that maybe has ever been played. (laughs) No. Fox's anchors, most of them vaccinated, elevate Vox resistors such as Kyrie Irving to folk heroes. Predictably, Fox used Colin Powell's death from COVID to trash vaccines, even though his immune system had been compromised by cancer and Parkinson's. Okay, so here's why this is. There's the a lot of levels to this. They can't touch. Ruben. No, no, no. Are you kidding no, me, man? No, here's here's why this is the best. Do you know what network broke the news of Colin Powell's death? No. CNN. Do you know what the headline of CNN's story was? Give it to me. Colin Powell, the first Black U.S. Secretary of State, dies of COVID nineteen complications. It is, he works there. He works there. He effing works there. And this guy says, predictably, Fox has used Colin Powell's death against the COVID vaccinations. Fox had nothing to do with it, brother. I, the entire day of Colin Powell's death 
was this entire mess amongst the media because of CNN's story, because they tagged it to COVID. When in fact, he was dying of cancer and Parkinson's for the last couple of months. Somehow, CNN wedged COVID into the headline. Right. Click, 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 click. I mean, so so let's be serious. Let's break this down. This is your run-of-the-mill standard, actually Fox is the bad guy take from a dumb little Twitter. Meanwhile, you've got Rob Reiner dropping some insane take, and then like the Kool-Aid man kicking in the door. You got Jen Rubin rolls up and is like, also, we got to get rid of the Supreme Court. Out of nowhere, man. I get that. I get that, and it's good. But I'm saying to try to put this particular issue, to try to put Colin Powell's death as a Fox effort to trash COVID vaccines when the network that he works for broke the news with COVID? But I mean, that's, that's an amazing that, 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 about that, that's face. so expected then. If he's getting his money from CNN and he just goes no, on you the just, offense, well, no, I mean, oh, man, it's predictable. So, so no one expects Kool Aid Man Jen Rubin and don't forget and don't forget and don't forget Fox's anchors most vaccinated themselves elevate vax resistors as Kyrie, like Kyrie Irving to folk heroes. That's the first. That's the first little bit. There's so many layers. It's like a fucking onion. <laughs> so number one, and, and I already said all of this. It's like you know the the. The Jen Rubens of the world need this persistent creeping fascism to exist, to, to explain away the failures of the Biden administration and the fact that they control all the levers in Washington. So, I mean, to be I mean, so deluded to think that Trump is in power. Right. And Joe Manchin is helping these white supremacists. But the thing we really got to do is get rid of the Supreme Court. The thing I like about no one can say that with a straight face. The thing I like about the boot, the thing I like about the boot take, is the logical pretzel that you have to put yourself in as a contributor to CNN to make a story that your network ran with. They broke the story, right? An attack on Fox News (laughs) and the efficacy of vaccines. When, like, you work there, pal. Did they change the headline throughout the day? The rest of the media was in an absolute uproar over the fact that they pinned his death to COVID. And it was his place. He works there. Right. He literally, that's where he sits. Right. <laughs> that's where he sits. I just love it because it's like the Spider-Man meme. It is. <laughs> it's like we're politicizing vaccines. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> he works there. Look. It's a great Jen Rubin take. In a normal uh, matchup, it would win. Nine out of ten times. It can't be the ten-dimensional chess of that tweet from Maximum Boot. For that reason, Holmes wins. Boot boot prevails. Incredible. Boot prevails. I, I'll tell you, buddy, this one was hard fought. I, it's always tough to take brain worms out. Yeah, I mean, listen, she brought the thunder. I respect the judge and jury's decision. Great fight. Yeah, great fight. Great fight. I love it. Well, we got a big interview, don't we, Donks? We do. We got Audrey Henson running in Florida's 13th congressional district. 
let's get to the interview. I want to welcome to the program, Audrey Henson. Welcome. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate being here. Well, so, you know, we were we were talking here before the interview got started. You are a minion yourself, an avid listener to the Variety program. Yeah, I have been for a while. Uh, you know, I was saying my favorite part of the Ruthless podcast is just the fact that I feel like we're all friends. Uh, you know, I feel like we're sitting in my backyard drinking drinks and just ranting about what new crazy thing the Democrats decided to do today and thought they could get away with. And this is one of those few podcasts that's really making sure that uh, they're not going to get away with much more anymore at all. And I really do love that about Ruthless. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear it. Uh, so so what got you involved in politics? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was never trying to actually be involved in politics. For me, uh, my pursuit of working in public service was always really personal. And I think to understand that, you got to know a little bit about my background. So I grew up, you know, with a single mom and a dad who unfortunately, you know, struggled with alcohol and opioid abuse. I grew up in Pinellas County, Florida, which um, was one of the top three counties in the entire nation um, that struggled with the opioid crisis. So, you know, my story down here is uh, not unique. A lot of a lot of families face what we faced. And because of the challenges, um, it really led to a life of my family struggling to get out of poverty. Um, there were times that, you know, when the economy was good, we were off those government welfare programs. But there were a lot of times when we were on them, food stamps, Medicaid, um, even housing subsidies. You know, there were plenty of Christmases where I was that angel, uh, angel tree kid, you know, we would put what we wanted on the tree and folks at church or Publix would give us gifts. And I got to see from a very early age just how broken Washington really is. You know, these welfare programs that were designed to help us really end up hurting us. And some people get mad when I say that and they say, you know, how hypocritical you use these programs. Well, the fact that my family ended back up on them multiple times just goes to show you it's not working. You know, the Democrats have designed these programs with the mission of growing the government. I'm a big believer in reforming these and changing that mission to helping Americans get out of poverty. And that's why, you know, I went to college and studied political science with really the sole intent of shrinking the size of government, reforming our welfare system and helping low income Americans like myself achieve the American dream. And a lot of candidates, you know, talk about the American dream and they've got 10 houses and they're sitting on millions and they inherited a business from <laughs> yeah, easy <their> for them. <laughs> yeah. Easy for you to say, you know, yeah. to me, that's not the American dream. Like I think the American dream is the life I'm living right now. I got a house that I love and a community that I grew up in about to marry the love of my life, Andrew Hansen soon. And we run a small construction business together and, you know, we're not rich, but we're happy and we're comfortable but we're you know, still on that edge that when we see these inflation prices, whenever we see the, um, the issues happening in the supply chain, it affects us. I mean, we spent our weekend cleaning out our garage fridge. Yes, I have a garage fridge. I may have left the trailer park, but I still got my little trailer <laughs> culture over here. And we froze a bunch of meat. And that's something that quite frankly, I don't think a lot of these Republicans, these elected Republicans can relate to. 
You know, I, I really do think it's time that the conservative party in this movement starts welcoming people who live like regular Americans. You know, I'm running to work for the working class. That's what my entire race is about. I'm the only person in my race who's actually even from the district. And I mean, no disrespect to my opponents, but I think being from a district, having started a nonprofit here, having started a business here, truly understanding this community and the unique needs that they have, that they want to see, you know, in Washington, I think that's worth something. So tell me a little bit more about that nonprofit, because I was reading up on a bit, uh, a little bit on it, and it sounds pretty fascinating. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I started College to Congress back in 2016, and it really came about um, based on my own story. So after I studied political science at the University of South Florida, I wanted to go intern for Senator Marco Rubio. And I was so pumped. I, you know, like so many other minions, probably like the token conservative in my massive university. <laughs> and I had to answer to what every single Republican in America decided to do. You know, Audrey, why did Bush do this? Or why is Cheney saying that? <laughs> so it was always ridiculous. And I couldn't wait to go be surrounded by other Republicans working in politics. I quickly found that there were two massive barriers keeping out regular Americans like myself from a career public service. One was simply money. You know, when I first interned in 2012, 95% of Capitol Hill internships weren't paid. So if you didn't have a mommy or daddy that could write you a $10,000 check for you to go live in one of the most expensive cities in America, you couldn't say yes to that opportunity. The second issue was even getting that internship, getting the opportunity. I mean, I don't have to tell you, Michael, the internships are kind of like the fourth donor tier. It's like, yes, I'm going to pick up your call. Yes, I'm going to write a bill for you. And when your kids want to intern or if they want to come to D.C., I'll have a spot for them in my office. And that sort of nepotism to me has created a fail up mentality. We got a lot of people on Capitol Hill who are supposed to be writing laws for us, who are supposed to be representing regular Americans who are just there because they've been there. It's just longevity. I mean, politics is it's a hard business because, you know, there's very rarely one sole person or reason for why something passes, why a bill passes, why a candidate wins. Uh, I, I always like think it's odd when someone says, I got that person elected. It's like, well, you and the candidate who also <laughs> did a great job, <laughs> good job on your strategy. The candidate did a great job. Fundraising did a great job. Like, thank you to our volunteers. So there's there's really no one sole champion in politics. And because of that, people have been able to build these careers where they've become almost as powerful as the members of Congress themselves, simply because they got a foot in the door and they were able to stay. They had that lasting power. And I, I just didn't think that was right. I didn't think that was okay. You know, I, like so many of your listeners, am really upset about the debt our country is in and the total mismanagement of our nation's finances. And 70% of the money we're spending is going to social welfare programs. So you can't tell me that you're interested and getting our country out of debt on getting us less reliant to China and that you're not passionate 
about reforming our welfare programs and shrinking the size of government. Those all go hand in hand. And so my way of fixing that was creating college to Congress, helping low-income Americans get in the pipeline, write these laws, help fix these programs, change the mission of them. And, you know, in five years, it's really skyrocketed. What started in 2016 as an idea that I was kind of seeing, you know, as Trump was rising and we started hearing a lot about this forgotten man, I really thought, you know, what would become president, but then candidate Trump, I was like, he's speaking to me and my people. Like what he is saying is what I've heard my entire life. It's what I felt like regular American, especially low income and middle class Americans feel forgotten. And that was happening at the same time I was building my business plan. Fast forward five years later, we've helped 1500 students get internships. We have a 90% success rate, actually the highest among any internship, uh, any internship program, 90% success rate, turning that internship into a full-time career that not only are they getting to do a job they're passionate about, they're also breaking the cycle of poverty in their families. Having these kids go to Washington and work in DC is just about the coolest thing that anyone in their family has ever done. And I've also testified in Congress as an expert four times um, on reforming our, our Congress, on shrinking it, on making it more efficient, on making it more effective. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. You know, I started College of Congress. I started a construction company called Buy the Bay Bobcats. I love problems. I love finding solutions to them. And I really do think the legacy of College to Congress is truly going to be the program that helped transform Congress from the inside out. Wow, that's great. Great to hear. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the construction company. And I, in particular, I'm really curious your perspective on the issues that we're having, you know, with the supply chain um, yeah. and, 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 and labor shortages and, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, this, this really came about in an interesting way. Uh, my younger brother, so I have two younger brothers, my middle brother, Jeffrey, uh, was working in construction, rental equipment for the last five years. And during COVID, he saw an opportunity um, for us to start a business and really help serve Pinellas. And so one of the things he was realizing is as the, as the cost of supplies are starting to increase and we were only seeing it slightly last fall of course now it's absolutely ridiculous mm -hmm. i mean the cost of lumber alone is just insane and it's slowing down a ton of construction down here in florida but as as these costs continue to rise and as people continue to flood from these democratic states to desantis land <laughs> there's going to be a need for for new homes for rehabbed homes over the next 10 years i mean Florida really does have, we're on the verge of a housing crisis. We um, have a housing shortage that's going to last for over a decade. Even right now, um, my own father is still living in Section 8 housing, and I'm trying to help him find an affordable home or even affordable rent so he can move out of you know these horrible conditions. And so I just, as you can tell, I feel very passionately about helping low and middle income families. And so we decided to not just feel passionate, but actually do something and build something. And so we started by the Bay Bobcats. We're really hoping to grow it into a new construction build. Um, right now we're doing demolition, excavation. Um, we're even doing some like hardscaping work, which, you know, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but 
I'm down in Pinellas County, Florida. We're surrounded by the Gulf Coast. We got lots of issues right now with red tide water pollution. Part of how you fix that is getting rid of fertilizer and grass and doing hardscaping. California went through this. Unlike California, we're not mandating people and forcing them to do that. Instead, you know, people are choosing to get involved on their own. Um, but I mean, we're seeing what so many other small business owners are seeing. It has been incredibly hard to find people who are willing to work. You know, I will say again, credit to DeSantis. Like I could just talk about him all day. We love him down here. Thank God he ended the additional stimulus benefits. We have started to see an uptick now and jobs getting done and people willing to go back to work. But we just started our company in November and we were really hitting that growth spurt around May and June. And Andrew and I were interviewing potential employees so that we could grow our crews and obviously make more money be able to do more jobs and we had over a dozen people straight to our face say would love to work with you guys my benefits run out in october or hey can i call you whenever my stimmy checks are done Jeez. It, i know it's like first off no now we're not going to hire you like, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a motivated employee yeah yeah but i almost can't blame right them. Listen, listen you almost can't blame them and, and sometimes whenever people say oh they're just so lazy it's like well, never underestimate human nature. Right. The Democrats have literally designed an environment that is incentivizing people not to work. I mean, if you could make the same amount of money or at least close to going to the beach every day and being with your family and going out to eat and working on your house or doing whatever makes you happy versus doing a manual labor construction job <laughs> where you're out in the Florida sun sweating and having dirt all over you, what would you pick? Right. I mean, this is the issue with what Democrats are doing. They are, you know, truly, in my opinion, designing a socialist society and they're luring you in with the easiest thing it is luxury of time. People yeah. really do feel like they're giving a free check and now they get to control their own time. And that's why we just love DeSantis. Thank God he ended these early unemployment benefits. I get really worried though, because AOC and Nancy Pelosi just last month dropped a new bill proposing to bring these additional $600 benefits back through next February. I mean, it's absolutely insane. You can tell they've never ran a business <laughs> because they don't know how much it's hurting small business owners. I mean, we're truly the backbone of this country. And Democrats who act like they hate big corporations, they're giving them all the advantage. I mean, every single day, I feel like I'm competing against the government for just an employee. Then once we make money, you know, they're going to want half of it. I mean, it's really scary what's happening right now. Man. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, we hear it from a bunch of people. It's, uh, it's a really tough, tough place. And especially for a lot of these small businesses who did everything that they could to survive COVID. Right. I know. And and, you know, thankfully, you know, we're reopening thanks to people like Ron DeSantis reopening America. Um, right. And now the government wants to come back and take even more of your money for the I privilege know. of having survived. You know, the blows. I mean, it feels like the blows don't start stop coming. It's like they they kicked us while we were down. You got these hardworking people, you know, Andrew and I, again, like bootstrapping this company, trying to build it and build a company that we're proud of to serve the community here in Pinellas County that we live in. And it really 
every single chance the government gets, they're not only trying to get into our pocketbook to get into our business, but they're trying to destroy it. And I don't know how we're gonna have, you know, stories like mine of growing up poor and getting to, you know, hopefully leave some money left for your kid if we end entrepreneurship. And if we end the ability for people to be able to create their own companies and create their own wealth and create jobs. I mean, to me, it's very simple. I don't know why the Democrats struggle with this one so much. Again, I don't think they have a lot of experience in business. So that's probably why they need to go back to their little macro and microeconomics classes and learn something. <laughs> amen. Amen. So uh, tell me a little bit more about that, that community. So you're running for Congress in Florida's 13th congressional district. What are you hearing from people on the ground? You know, it's it's a really interesting district. So um, if, you know, your listeners like sports and they're familiar with Champa Bay, so we're the <laughs> district that wins everything. Unfortunately, we're also the area that continues to lose this congressional seat. We had a Republican congressman who represented this area for about 40 years. And since then, we've had carpetbaggers who literally come in as one party and leave as the next. And this area is really just, we've found the short end of the stick when it comes to leadership. And that's part of why I decided to step up and serve because I saw the two options we had uh, in our Republican primary and I realized neither of them could win in a general. You know, this, this seat, even if you don't live in Florida, it really does have a national importance because it's a swing seat. It's very, very purple. And it's one of these five seats that we're relying on to flip and get that gavel out of Pelosi's tight grip. I mean, this is a seat that could literally help get us over the edge if we elect the right kind of conservative. And I mean, my work with College to Congress, bipartisan, my entire life of representing low-income communities has mass appeal here. I mean, we're talking about a very low to middle-income community where the average income is under $46,000 a year. So like, these are really my people. I know I can win in a general. Now I just need to get through this tough primary. In Florida, we have we have late primaries. Uh, it's one of the only things I don't like about our system here is you got a primary. Once you win it, you only have 60 days to change the general. <laughs> right, right. You got to turn around and raise a ton more money and sprint yeah. to election day. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. An expensive. It's an expensive media market. I mean, this is Tampa Bay. It's one of the top 10 expensive media markets. Running a week of television ads is upwards of half a million dollars. But again, that goes back to the importance of my candidacy. You know, I was asked to run here by local Republicans because they saw the impact I've already had changing Congress from the outside and said, Audrey, imagine what you could do in there. And they know I could hold this seat. You know, this the voter, the voter registration in this area is a third Republican, a third independent, and a third Democrat. So you're not gonna win this seat ever, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, just talking to your own base. You gotta be able to reach across the aisle. You gotta be able to flip some of those independent voters. And I'm the kind of candidate that can do that. I'm not out here to do this politics for profit and build a brand and be on Fox News every day and try to sell t-shirts on Instagram. For me, it's about serving the people from here because those are my people. This is where my family grew up. My family's ninth generation Floridian. I'm running to represent them. Wow. Well, I like the pitch. <laughs> That's good. Go <laughs> to so the voters here. Yeah. You know, I, just, I just got in the race last month on September 8th. And in just 22 days, 
I raised over $206,000. And the majority of that money was small dollar donations from voters right here in the district. A lot of people have never given before, electricians, plumbers, contractors, even some teachers. Not all the teachers are liberal, by the way, guys. Some of them are good. (laughs) Yes, yeah. No, we give the teachers unions a hard time, but it's a good reminder. Yeah. We'll give the unions a hard time, but I think we got an opportunity here to start flipping some of these teachers. They hate the mass too. They hate teaching on Zoom. They, the most of the teachers I talk to hate CRT. Yeah. They don't want to be doing this. They view teaching as a public service. They don't want to be teaching anti-American propaganda. You know, again, I think it goes back to messaging. We have a real opportunity in 2022 to elect people like me that have mass appeal and that can reach out just like Trump did, reach out to people who were never interested in politics, who feel like government is just being thrust on them right now and they don't like it and they want someone to fix that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good point. You know, people are, we like to call it the trial of socialism. We're getting sort of the trial membership of socialism right now, empty empty shelves at the grocery store. Oh my gosh, um, it's so scary. Yeah, no, I mean, and th- that has a way of getting people engaged really quickly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Takeaway options for Americans. We're going to finally right. write in the street. You got us. So. That's right. So to shift gears here, you know, we always, uh, and, and as you listen, obviously, so you know what's coming, but we end each of these interviews with three questions. Um, number one, last meal on earth, what would it be? I love this question. I would go so hard on some Tex-Mex from Sea Dog Cantina in Clearwater. Uh, Since it's my last meal, I don't have to worry about the diet. I'm starting with like a queso blanco chorizo order, a couple margaritas with salt, probably throw in like some crispy chicken quesadillas, flatas, probably end with some like fried ice cream and maybe chips and salsa on the back end, depending on how much salt I want that day. But I would just go all in on like Fresh Gulf Grouper Tacos and Tex-Mex. Man, that's a good order. That is a good order. Hungry. (laughs) Yeah. Thinking about like (laughs) visualizing this amazing table to myself, like gorging alone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good answer. Um, So, you know, if you weren't, um, you know, running for public office, what would you be doing with your life? You know, let's say aside aside from the construction company and obviously yeah. the nonprofit, pie in the sky, you know, you could do anything else. What would it be? Well, hey, I'm in DeSantis land, which is basically our version of Disneyland. So I feel like we can we can do that pie in the sky dreaming. <laughs> uh, you know, if I had the talent, I'd be a professional tennis player. I love tennis. My my fiance and I met at a election watch party. So check one. I knew he was a Republican. Then I found out he was a Christian too. And then I found out he played tennis and I got a free tennis coach in this marriage. So (laughs) I would love to be a tennis player and, you know, get to travel and play doubles all across the world. Nice. Um, And then our final question, uh, what, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? The thrill of victory, the eternal optimist, glass half full, agony, agony of defeat, that you are consumed by the fear that you might lose and that drives you to succeed, which, which is it for you? I mean, I'm definitely an internal optimist. How can I not be given the life I've had already? Um, 
I'm running to represent Champa Bay and I wake up every single day in this race with a championship mentality. I literally get up and I visualize winning and I visualize throwing my hands up and hugging my team and giving that acceptance speech. And I got the idea from Tom Brady. Tom Brady every single day gets up and visualizes himself winning that Sunday. And I think if you're going to try to represent an area that's full of winners, you got to embody that and you got to do that too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd say hands down optimistic. I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you put your mind to something, and I've seen this with my own life, like I know no one's going to outwork, outperform or outpace me if I want to do something. And so I got to be optimistic and I got to be going for the goal. Awesome. I love it. And I love Champa Bay. That's uh that's a nice saying. I like that a lot. How can you not? How can you not? <laughs> hey, maybe you'll move down here one day. All of America's doing it anyways. Well, my you know, my parents live in uh Sarasota, so not not too far away. Um not too far yeah. At all. yeah, so you know. they'll have to pop up and come to one of our events. Yeah. I'd love to. Come. I may take you up on that. <laughs> Audrey, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck. Appreciate it so much. Michael, I appreciate it so much. And just for your listeners, if you'd like to learn more about me, if you want to support my race, just go to AudreyHenson.com. While you're there, sign up. And of course, don't forget, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thanks. So she's great. Um, I think her life story, her background, um, you know, obviously gives her a perspective that we need more of in Washington. Yeah. I appreciate it. You know, you know, coming from a low income family where, you know, your father has struggled with, you know, opioid abuse and alcoholism. And, you know, you get a internship in Washington and you look around, and you're like, there's not a lot of people like me here. Like, how can I, how can I change the system? That's, that's like, the most impressive part to me. Is that she watches all of these silver spoons fail upwards and tries to do something about it. Right. I mean, you know, I I think if we had more people from her background on Capitol Hill, it would it would change the way that we approach public policy in a lot of ways. And you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican, I think, you know, the economics of, you know, the internship programs on Capitol Hill and all this stuff, you end up with a lot of folks who like, you know, they, they don't have as much at stake as people like her, you know? And so I just appreciated that a lot. And, you know, clearly she understands the district a lot. It's going to be a frontline district critical to us flipping the house. And look, I mean, it's a it's a it's a district where you've got 30, you know, about 33 percent Republicans, 33 percent Democrats, 33 percent independents. So it's like you got to figure out a way to talk to people other than the base. Yeah, we need people like that. That's what I'm saying is, uh, you know, we get great cans like this. You know, we got we got we got tailwinds going into this. I think Audrey's one of the ones we're going to rack up some wins with. Yep, I agree with you. Another banger of an episode, gentlemen. Well done. Well fought, Holmes. Yeah, no, great. A great match. Win for maximum boot. Uh, So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.